Father in heaven, we are thankful for for this moment to be able to gather together. We know that you have preserved the word for us over the millennia even. And as we discussed this morning, the, the importance of your word, the trust that we can put in your word, the way that you point us to our Redeemer throughout the entire scriptures. It's wonderful to know, and humbling really, to know that each one of us can, can hold in our hands um, the instruction manual, as we mentioned today. People want to know what, what is God's will for my life, or how can we make sense of all of the things that, that occur in the world? Well, you've written it down for us. And you've given it to us to study. And you've given your Holy Spirit to give us understanding if we would just listen. So Lord, this morning as we open your word together and meditate, we pray that you would provide the instruction, that you provide the guidance, that you would provide conviction where necessary so that our, our lives can be changed by the word that we read. That we might desire to to turn ourselves over to you and really really follow what you have given to us we pray for those who couldn't be here this morning who would have wanted to we we already know that the marcy's are would much prefer to be here than where they are and, and that's just one example we pray for anyone who is um who is able to at least Spend time in your word this morning, because we know that even if we're not together in person, your spirit can bind us together in unity. We thank you for your presence with us this morning as we turn to your word now and ask that you would, that you would teach us from it, that you would keep my thoughts really out of the way and that the things that we shared today would be things that come from you. And we pray for distractions to be removed from our minds and just that we be able to focus on our hearts, focus our hearts on the word this morning. Thank you for that. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your love and for our Redeemer who came and it's in his name, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. I'd like to start in Psalm chapter 78. Psalm chapter 78, uh, beginning with verse 1. The Word of God says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable, and I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength, his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob, 
and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children. And the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. The first scripture that that I'm reading this morning talks about generation after generation teaching and putting their trust in God. In verse 5, he says, the, the testimony was established in Jacob, and we've just spent a lot of time in Bible class learning about Joseph and the things that he went through, understanding that these terrible things that happened to Joseph, um, starting with his brothers, selling him into slavery, and then going to Egypt, and highs being higher each time, and lows maybe being a little bit lower each time, to the point that God raised him up to be second in command in Egypt, which brought his family, his father Jacob and his brothers and their families that were living in Canaan and suffering the famine, brought them to Egypt, where they would live for 400 years, eventually becoming slaves. And then Moses coming out of those people and delivering them from Egypt back into the promised land. This testimony that that takes up quite a bit of the, the beginning of the scriptures. The first five books are really the account of those things happening. And we'll get a little bit more into it later, but we know that Moses established, God established through Moses uh, different practices that the people were supposed to follow that helped them share the testimony from generation to generation. The purpose of the feasts and the sacrifices that they were supposed to make was to remember. And when, when we think of that word remember, because I could say I remember when I lived here and um, spent some time on the lake and spent five years in this church. Um, different things that we have done together. I told Uli yesterday I still remember when he took me to dinner one time, the fanciest dinner I've ever had to date still, I think. Um, when we use that word remember, it's different than when... God told his people to remember. It's different even from when Jesus told his disciples to every time that we uh, eat the bread and drink the wine to remember. It's different. The way that they used remembering was to put themselves in the place of the people that experienced the thing that they're remembering. So the reason why they would have Passover every year was so that they could put themselves back in the situation of being delivered from Egypt and understanding what God brought them through to get them from slavery to freedom. So this command to tell your children. um, And then I love how verse 6 says, we tell our children so the generations to come might know about it. And then the children who aren't even born yet would be able to tell their children still. 
this pattern has been established from the beginning of scriptures so that we can share why so that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments why do we pass on legacies what is a legacy that isn't um, I guess what value is a legacy that doesn't contain the truths found in scripture If we're passing something down that doesn't bring people closer to God, then we should think about what are we actually contributing. And so this this passing down of a legacy that was commanded from almost the beginning, the reason was to set their hope in God and preserving not just the people who experienced it, but their children and their children's children, and their children's children's children, and so forth, until two, I guess it would be 3,000 years later, maybe, I can't do the quick math, but a really long time, that the people, the Jewish people today still celebrate these things. They still have Passover. They still have uh, the, the Feast of Booths and these other ones, they're not doing the sacrifices the way that are written in Scripture, but they're still, um, the Orthodox ones anyways, are still observing these, these um, I don't want to call them traditions, because I don't think that puts enough weight on it, but the, the, these commandments to share from generation to generation. And so people now can, in a sense, experience through that remembering, being delivered from Egypt. But it's all because of a legacy. If we go to Titus, Titus chapter 2, Actually, I'm going to start just a hair back in chapter 1. The difficulty when doing that is you can keep going back just a little bit more, just a little bit more, and pretty soon you're going to read the whole chapter, or the whole book, uh, which I've actually done sometimes. But... I guess I'll start at verse 15 of Titus chapter 1. Previous to that, he's he's warning people about uh, uh, following false teachings. And in verse 15, he says, Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. And before I move into chapter 2, I just want to settle here for a minute. 
we learned this morning, or we, we talked about this morning, how the Apostle Paul said that the law was given so that I might know sin. Because without the law, we would just be doing whatever we were doing, and we would have no idea that we were far from God. And so the law was given so that we might become aware of sin, know what it is, and understand the need that we have for a relationship with Jesus Christ. And he says here in, in this letter that there are people who, because they're not in a relationship with God, whatever they're doing, none of it is pure. None of it is, is clean. Even the good things that one might do outside of Christ, it's not pure. Because even their mind and conscience is defiled. And it even says that some of them would profess to know God. We know people in our lives. But in works, they deny him. There may even be people here today who profess to know God, but in works, deny him. I've had to... I've had to, to reconcile scriptures where on, on one, one, high, one side I can read that someone who professes Christ, that, that profession that he came in the flesh is of the Spirit. And yet I know people who can make that profession, but other areas don't line up with that anymore. This is someone who professes that they know God, but in works deny him. And so it's why he goes into chapter 2 where he says, Speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. The teaching that was talked about in the Psalms were these, these events that happened, these truths from God's word, the sound doctrine that he has given us through his scriptures that now we can pass down. But they need to be sound doctrine. The older men, the aged men, be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women likewise, that they should in behavior, they should, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. And young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. In all things showing thyself a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, and sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters, and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not backtalking, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. That's a beautiful phrase that our behavior towards other people adorns the doctrine of God, shows the beauty of the doctrine of God when we behave a certain way towards other people. And on the other hand, it can really damage the, the reputation of God's word if we proclaim to be 
his and yet behave in a way that he doesn't want us to behave. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority and let no man despise thee. To be honest, this was the first scripture that came to my mind when I, when I um, kind of thought about tying in a message today with the general events of the weekend. But I didn't want a message, and I don't think they would have wanted, my grandparents, a message about them. Omi says no. But these are the verses that came to mind, learning from our elders, um, hearing the experiences in their lives, not disrespecting the aged like some might do. Uh, We can learn about that. Was it Solomon, wasn't it? Or Solomon's son, when, when he had one set of advisors that knew Solomon and said, this is the way your, your father would have done things, or this is the way you should do it. Be, go easy on the people, and they'll, um, they'll follow you more. And his younger friends who thought they were hot stuff said, no, double down. Um, I think it even says, show them that you've got more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, your father and his pinky finger didn't have as much strength or whatever as you do. And of course, we know that he followed the wrong advice of the younger ones. We should respect the, the experiences and the advice that our, our grandparents, uh, whether physically or in the faith, have. And that, that's kind of where my initial thoughts around the message took, took place. Um, so this verse, this section in Titus was what came up first. Um, but then I felt the Lord moving it into talk about passing the word down, passing the law of God down, passing the faith down from generation to generation. And, and so in here, when he's talking about the, the false teachings and, and then emphasizing the sound doctrine that needs to be taught. And then encourages the older men to act a certain way and the older women to act a certain way. And to teach, the older ones are supposed to teach the younger ones how to live. There was probably a problem, and I, I honestly, I think we have this problem today where um, it's I would say maybe among people who don't know better, but the young fathers in families, there's a reason why there's more single moms than single dads, I think. I don't have numbers, so I suppose I could be wrong about that, but I hear a lot more about single moms than single dads. And I think it's because the dads don't really do what they're supposed to be doing. And and so this isn't just something for this time when the letter was written to Titus but a, an encouragement, an exhortation, really, for the young men to live a certain way. Um, 
There's another scripture that says, when I was young, I did, when I was a child, I behaved like a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. And nowadays it's easy for a grown man or woman, I suppose, but maybe because I'm a man, I feel, I feel like I need to talk about myself, to put away the childish things and to grow up. The scriptures teach us that. The, the fact that sound doctrine is mentioned more than once, um, it's important to make sure that the things that we're passing down come from the scriptures. This, this is our, our plumb line. Is that the right word? The right construction term? The thing that we measure everything else by. And nowadays, you can find books that are in the, like if you go to Amazon and you look for spiritual books, you can find anything. It's in the Christian category. But if you dig into it a little bit, there's a lot of heresy. And so, not that, um, I guess, extra scriptural resources are, are all bad, but we have to be careful about what we're pulling in to uh, complement what we're reading in the scripture. There are good study material and there's bad study material. And I I guess one way to know if it's bad is if you have to change the meaning of words that we read in the scripture to make your agenda become scriptural, then your agenda and your extra scriptural text is not trustworthy. We don't need to change the meanings of things so that the Bible makes sense to what I want it to say. So we use the scriptures as our our guide as we're passing down the sound doctrine and as we're teaching. And this chapter in Titus is all about the older believers. And to be fair, that doesn't mean the old believers. There is a believer who is older than me, and there is a believer who is younger than me. So therefore, I am an older believer to somebody, just as others are an older believer to me. And so that, that's another exhortation for me to understand that if I'm going to, to be an example to my nephews that are beginning to be converted and baptized. Just the same way that, that Uncle David or Opa or any of you brothers and sisters that are older than me, and maybe even older than them, can do that. So we each are in a stage where we are both the older and the younger. And so it's an encouragement to each one of us. But again, it's this concept of passing on this legacy of faith from one generation to the next. And why? Looking at verse 10 again, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. We are a light to the world. Jesus is the light, but he told us we are a light to the world. 
And so as we live, as we behave, as we treat one another with dignity and respect, as we treat those around us who others in the world might treat with disdain or hate, if we are treating them with dignity and respect and claiming the name of Christ, we are adorning the word of God. We are adorning the doctrine with good works. We are giving, like it it says in a little bit, or maybe it said it just above it. Yeah, in verse 8, that those that are against you would be ashamed because they don't have anything evil to say against you because of the way that you live. It glorifies God. And then in verse 13, looking for that hope in the glorious appearing, this concept of Shekinah to the Hebrew people, which was the presence of God. We look forward to the presence of God, the hope of his presence in the redeeming of our Savior Jesus Christ. He will come to redeem. He has come. It says in 14, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all iniquity, to pay for our sin, and to purify unto us unto himself as a people set apart, a peculiar people who are um, zealous of good works, who desire to do the good things that are found in Scripture, who desire to follow after him in holiness. And it really only happens as the older teach the younger, And the younger respect the older enough to listen and to be encouraged and taught by them, both working together in love toward the same goal. Um, Let's get a a little less broad in terms of relationship between, uh, you know, a big group of believers. Ephesians chapter 6 Talks, it's, it's more personal because it's talking about family. But again, I think Opa was speaking this way yesterday, that everyone in this room is part of our family. And so this isn't just me and the four people in my house. I mean, it is that. But it's also, I think, us as a, a family of believers as well gives us a little bit more insight. Ephesians chapter 6 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Servants, be obedient. Be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling, and singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. With good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatsoever good thing a man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And you masters do the same things unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, Neither is there respect of persons with him. It's interesting that honoring your father and mother, which is the fifth commandment, it says that's the first one that has a promise, that promises that your days would be long on the earth. Uh, I read in um, kind of a, a Jewish, a Messianic Jewish commentary that 
they really felt like there are three people in a family who deserve respect, your mother, your father, and God. And so as you honor your father and your mother, that contributes to the honor that you would give to God. So that's why they were really, this was an important commandment to them. It was critical in honoring God, which is what they wanted to do. And and then there's verse 4, which tells fathers, I think it also means mothers, but there's a reason I... I suppose that he used fathers to not provoke your children to wrath, to not be overbearing with, uh, I guess, demands or discipline. A way that I take it is to actually be honorable as a father to my children. We are to nurture and admonish them in the Lord. We're always pointing our children to God when we, when we use effective discipline. The, the point isn't to hurt them. The point is to teach them and encourage them and point them to God. Again, passing down things from generation to generation. It even talks about servants or slaves in other translations to obey your masters. And maybe because of where I live, that usually... Uh, is a sensitive topic to me because of the way that slavery, I guess, happened in the United States and kind of how it took so long for that to go away, even to my mom, I think, talking about problems even in the 50s. So we might think that slavery was an issue only in the 1800s, but there were effects of that felt uh, in some places, probably even today, but I can talking to guys that still work at work where they couldn't drink from the same fountain as someone else, as a white person, because of where they were living. So these effects that show up, slavery is a little bit different. I want to take just a second to um, talk about the insight that I gained from what I think is a good study from Ray Vanderland when he talked about slavery in, in this time where people would give their children up when they didn't want them anymore. They would throw them out in the city, out, out, outside the wall, and um, people could just go get a child to train them to be their servant. And so that child became their slave. If they were to completely get rid of that person, as, you know, let's say there's a, um, a former pagan family that comes to know the Lord, but they had had one or several uh, children as slaves in their house from the beginning. If they were to just let them go, there would be nothing for that former slave to do. So the reason why we don't see a lot of emancipation in the scripture is because because we're thinking of slavery as the United States when we're thinking of it in those terms. And it was a little different back then. But what it does say is that servants obey your masters as if you are obeying Christ. We know that there are certain types of slavery that even happen in the United States today where we don't, I'm not going to talk about them here because of kind of kids hanging around and I don't want to share too much. But for them to obey their masters 
could mean death, could mean really bad problems for them. And so I don't want us to, to, to kind of think of this as a, you know, there's more to it than, than just the simplicity of obeying your masters, but the, which is why that context from, from ancient times is, um, is important. But he says to serve your masters as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers. I was that kid who tried to obey my parents with eye service, just enough to get by. If I could check the box and be able to argue that, yeah, I did the job, even though it wasn't excellent, as I guess that's the word I use with my kids. I want, I want to see excellence in what you're doing. I don't want you to just be ho-hum about, about what you're doing. But when we serve Christ, then suddenly this, this bond, bondage that we're under maybe doesn't feel as light because we know a slave that is in Christ is a slave that is free, whether or not politically, but spiritually free. And so we are going to receive blessings from God as we serve. But then it also says, masters, treat your slaves Treat your servants in a way that is pleasing to God as well. So again, this relationship of, um, I guess, someone in authority teaching someone that's not in authority. And yeah, even in a master-servant relationship, at least back in these days, the point was for them to be an example of godly character to those that were around them. And there was even a custom that um, when, when slaves would be able to be freed, there was a Jewish law that after 50 years, or at the year of Jubilee, slaves were supposed to be freed, and, and including the families. But a slave could decide to stay with their master. I guess the only reason you would do that is if they were actually treating you well and you felt like you could get a better life by staying there and they would mark your ear and you would be theirs. So it's interesting to think that that relationship, which I think, again, is, is tainted by American slavery, could be, could be one that draws people together when both parties know Christ and, and work together, um, even in that kind of relationship. We know the scriptures that talk about training up a child in the way that they should go, and when they're old, they won't depart from it. We have examples of that. We have examples of that in the building today, where someone who knows the scriptures from a young age decides to step away for some period of time. And then they're older and they come back. We have several examples of that in Richmond, where as a child, a uh, couple, I can think of two that, I, that come to mind right away, that as children were, were in the congregation and didn't come for a long time and came back and were baptized. And there's even one fellow coming now with his family I didn't even know that his family was, had, I don't know if, if they were ever members, 
but his last name, so his brothers or maybe his parents were around Richmond congregation back b- way before we got there. And now he's coming back with his family. And it's just very interesting to see how that scripture really can be true when we teach our children when they're young. And even if they step away with the grace of God, they're able to come back and, and start turning things around. But it's because that legacy was passed on to them when they were younger. I have one more scripture. I think I'm very quickly approaching the end if I haven't passed the time already. But I want to go quickly to Proverbs chapter 22. Uh, it's only, only three verses, so if you don't want to follow... That's fine as well. Proverbs 22, verse 17. Bow down thine ear and hear the words of the wise and apply thy heart to my knowledge. For it is a pleasant thing if thou keep them within thee that they shall withal be fitted in thy lips. That thy trust may be in the Lord I have made known unto thee this day, even to thee. Hear the words of the wise and apply them to your heart. Why? Why? that your trust may be in the Lord. It's very simple. We're passing the faith down from generation to generation. And there are children that Omi and Opa do not know yet because they haven't been born. I don't know them because my kids aren't married. And they don't have kids yet. But they will know the truth of God because grandparents, great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents established a legacy, passed it from generation to generation. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you are the result of a legacy of faith. Your grandparents, your great-grandparents, or great-great-grandparents knew the Lord and walked with him and passed that down. If that's the case, it's a tremendous blessing. Because the chances are you probably avoided a lot of difficulty. Maybe you're the beginning of a legacy. You're the first in a line. Be encouraged that you can pass that down. Maybe you don't have physical descendants to pass down a legacy to. If you look around, there are younger people in this building that are they're just children. They, they are learning Sunday school lessons right now. They're not learning the meat of the word. And so even if you don't have physical children to pass a legacy to, you have spiritual children or nieces and nephews that you can pass that legacy to. And you can become part of that story. There is no greater legacy. I, I mean, I'm saying this kind of prematurely, but I can see the work of the Spirit even in my children as young as they are. No greater legacy than to see your children and children's children walking in the truth. And just as one more encouragement to those that may have children that aren't walking in the truth, keep praying for them, and we will continue praying for them. I want to share with you that, and many of you probably already know this, George Smith, who faithfully sent his children to church, 
Uh, I guess there's another one. I didn't even think about Jackie. She came to church when she was younger and stopped and then came back after, uh, after she and Carl were divorced and Katie became the next generation of, of believer when Jackie decided to come back because she heard the word when she was young and she didn't depart from it when she was old. And George waited until the last couple days of his life here on earth. But people prayed for him for decades. And for whatever reason, his stubbornness wouldn't let him let it go. And right before that door closed, he was able to to let go. To turn it over and let God have his heart. And so it's not too late for your part of your legacy, who might still be, you might be clinging to that scripture of training up a child. That's your only hope right now, that someday when that child is old, they will not depart from the scripture. And so we will continue to pray with you as you do that. So I, I don't think I embarrassed Omi and Opa by making a sermon about them. And, um, but definitely they were the inspiration behind the scriptures that I read this morning that I really believe the Lord drew to my attention so that I could share them this morning with you. Uh, and may he continue to, to speak to us as he can through his spirit and encourage us from his word as we each continue to try to pass this legacy of faith from one generation to the next.